We are in part four of a series that we're calling Embrace. And as you see behind me, as we've said every week, this is a, a series where the aim is to help us to learn to be more compassionate, help us to learn to be more caring. It's to help us to learn to love one another better regardless of color, regardless of, of background. Now then, we're going to conclude this series in, in a couple of weeks. As, uh, as Tim said a minute ago, today's the last Sunday in August. It's hard to believe that. Next Sunday, we're going we're gonna to jump into the Old Testament for a little bit as we're going to look at the life of Jonah. And then on September 11th, mark your calendars for that, uh, John Smith is going to tie a bow on everything. He's going to wrap this series up, and I'm looking forward to hearing from him and uh, the things that he's going to share, and so I think that's going to be a really, really good day. So we've got, uh, uh, after today, we'll have two more weeks in this series before we, we move on to something else. So uh, be, uh, be thinking about that. Be uh, definitely thinking about uh, John and hearing what he has to say. Be praying for him as he's getting ready to uh, prepare a, a message with us. Well, there's a couple of things we've done at the beginning of each of these messages that we'll do throughout them, and that's first to say this, that number one, that I think the greatest need in the world today, yes, believe this at the start of this series, I still believe it right now in this very minute, that the greatest need in the world today is for people who call themselves Christians is to learn to love people better, right? That's what I agree, and I hope you agree with that as well. Those of you that I know, I believe that that's what you believe as well, that if we're going to be the followers of Christ, we have to be the people who love other people, okay? We need to be the ones that are out loving the rest of the world. Does that make sense? Okay? I mean, if we're Jesus people, if we're God people, that should be our market right there, okay? Uh, you know, because God kind of cornered that market because he is love, as we've talked about. And so that takes us to our, our verses, kind of our theme verses for, uh, for this series. Here they are, really loud. I'll read the white, really loud uh, you read the yellow. Beloved, because love is from God, whoever, for God is love. Right, and that's what we continue to, uh, to, to, to pound week in and week out, that God is love. And that's what we should be. If we are going to be the people of God, that means we have to show the love of God to everyone we con come in contact with, right? That's our, our mission. That's our, our, our calling as, as, as followers of Christ. We're continuing to wrestle with difficult questions along the way because this is not, uh, this is not an, an easy thing to talk about. It is much easier to take difficult subjects and to push them off to the side, is it not? I mean, it's far easier to do that, okay? But I think it's a far better thing for us to wrestle with these things. And so we're asking ourselves along the way, am I harboring racist thoughts in my heart and in my mind? Am I holding on to hatred of someone or, or some people group? And it's, if as you go throughout this study, as we read from the Word, as we pray together, as we continue to think through some of these things, if it turns out that God reveals some of those things to you, ask Him to remove them. Ask Him to take them away, to remove them from your heart. Ask God to take down those barriers that you might have so that we can be the people of God, so that we can be the people that show the love of God to all that, uh, all that we come in contact with. And I think that's what we're going to get at today as we, as we talk about reconciliation. Well, for this message, 
I'm going to be leaning on the work of, of Josh Graves. I mentioned him way back several weeks ago when we first started this series. And uh, several weeks ago, he preached a series in, uh, in, in Nashville at the church where, where he preaches. And he opened up by uh, relating a story that I wanted to share with you. There's a guy by the name of Rubel Shelley who is uh, a, a longtime minister. He's now a, a professor at uh, Lipscomb University there in the Hazelip School of Theology. I'll be studying under him. And he was preaching in Memphis at the time when Martin Luther King was assassinated. And so the Sunday following that assassination, he got up and he preached a message on reconciliation from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and, and the text that have to do with that, with reconciliation and grace and peace and love and, and, and bearing one another's burdens. Well, that Sunday afternoon, he received a call from, from one of his elders. Now then, to get a call from an elder on a Sunday afternoon if you're a preacher is not a good thing, okay? It's not a good thing. And they said, we want you to come in for a meeting. Now then, if you get a call from a Sunday, on a Sunday afternoon from an elder saying, come into a meeting tonight, that's not ever really a good thing either, okay? But that's what they told him to do. Hey, come in. We want to talk to you. And so he gets there. And one of the elders proceeds to tell Rubel Shelley that we want you to retract everything that you've just preached on. Everything that you just preached on about reconciliation about grace, about love, about mercy. We want you to, to retract those things. And so it went on back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And finally, one of those elders in a moment of frustration said, do you mean to tell me, now he's saying this to Rubel, do you mean to tell me that if your daughter married a black man that you would be okay with it? To which Rubel replied, I would rather her marry a black man with a heart for Jesus than a man with a heart like yours. Rubel did not stay at that position. He had to leave, as you might imagine. But it was the right thing for him to say. It was the right thing for him to do. It was the right thing for him not to retract a message that is so, so vitally important. Rubel had to go and, and to look for a new job. But there are, there are moments when we must stand up and that's why we've been talking about this and as we saw last week maybe more than than any other week it's it's this issue that gets at the very heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel of Jesus and the love of Jesus is for all mankind is it not and so that is why this is so important John and I were able to have breakfast one day this week and we were talking about it that no you you sort of you, you kind of know that this issue is there, that the love of Jesus is for all mankind, but until we take the time to really look at this, you don't realize how important it is. But it is vitally important. If this was not important, if it was not important, probably none of us would, would be here. Okay, It would be just for the Jews, but it is for all mankind. And so that's why we're, that's why we're talking about this, because it is so vitally important. It is book letters from a Birmingham jail Martin Luther King once wrote I must confess that over the past few years I've been greatly disappointed with the white moderate I have almost reached the regrettable regrettable conclusion 
that the Negro's great stumbling block in this stride toward freedom is not with the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than justice, who prefers a, a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. One who constantly says, I agree with you in your goal that you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action, who paternalistically believes that he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by a mythical concept of time and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. As we look at this text from, from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I think that Paul is calling us to action. But not in a more convenient season. I think if we are going to call ourselves the followers of Christ, that the call of action is immediate. The response is immediate that we must do something here and now. We must not wait for, think, well, okay, if things get a little better, then maybe I'll, I'll do something. Or, or, or one day, boy, one day I'd really like to stand up for something. No. If the call of Christ is on you, the call of reconciliation is now. It is immediate because the reconciliation of Jesus was immediate for us when we answered that call. And so that's what, he's, that's what we're looking at. He's calling us He's calling us to, to, to stand up. He's calling us not into a negative peace where there is only the absence of tension, but He's calling us into a positive peace where there is justice and, and reconciliation. Remember, we said several, several weeks ago, early on in our series in Matthew, we came to being peacemakers. You know, blessed are the peacemakers. That peacemaking is not easy. Okay, now it sounds tranquil and it sounds nice and it sounds like, man, that's one of the favorite Beatitudes. But if you ask me, that's one of the toughest Beatitudes. Because you know as well as I do that in order, if you, we are to be a peacemaker, that means there must be trouble going on, right? There must be tension involved. If we are to be the makers of peace, the bringers of peace, that means that we have to step into these situations with the heart and with the hands and the mind of Jesus Christ. And so that's what he's calling us. That's what he's calling us to do. So let's read. Let's read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's just start in verse 11. I'll read through, uh, through 21. <clears throat> Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others. But we ourselves are well known to God, and I hope that we are well known to your consciences. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast in outward appearance and not in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ urges us on. Because we are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died and he died for all, so that those who might live, live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we, knew, we know him that way no longer. So if anyone is in Christ, there is new creation. Everything old has passed away. See? 
everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become we might become the righteousness of God. And so it's there in that, that passage that Paul begins to lay out his theology, his believing in this, this ministry of, of reconciliation. And what, what reconciliation is simply, it's, it's not things that were, you know, you got one thing over here and one other thing over here and this one's different and that one's different and you bring them together. It's two things were at one time one thing. Okay, They were together, and then something broke them apart, and it is to bring them back together. You know, Think of, think of the, the garden. Think of God and, and being there with, with Adam and Eve and how he used to be in daily communion with them. And then sin entered the world, and they're kicked out of the garden forever, and God pulls back out of Eden. And so there is this separation between God and mankind. And it's ever since time, God has been trying to reconcile, to put back together this relationship. Okay, And time and time again, man failed. We couldn't live up to God's standards. We couldn't live up to the law. And so he sent Jesus, who came and died on the cross. He took our sins so that we might become his righteousness, the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Jesus. And because of that death and that burial and that resurrection, we are being now brought back together. We are being reconciled to God by Christ Jesus. And he says, now... We have the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, if you are a Jesus person, it is your job, just as it is my job, to be a minister of reconciliation. It is your job, just as it is my job, to look in a place and when we see there is no peace and there needs to be reconciliation, that we try to step in there and instead of adding tension, instead of adding chaos, instead of adding uh, you know, fire to, uh, fuel to the fire, we try bring peace we try to bring restoration and reconciliation we are to be the the people who are are of, of the light and not of the darkness we are to be the salt of of the earth and that's what this is about okay paul's immediate thought when he starts laying out this this thought when he starts talking about this reconciliation he's not talking about just his people okay he's not talking about just himself his worldview here is is for everyone Okay, it's not, it's not provincial, it's not this, this myopic, this sort of short-sightedness, I can't see anything beyond myself. Paul's directive is for everyone, okay? The love of Christ is for, is for everyone. You look at verse 14, it's that, that famous verse, for the love of Christ urges us on, or, or maybe your version says compels you. The love of Christ compels you, okay? Well, what's the, what's the love of Christ? The love of Christ is most powerfully witnessed at the cross and, and what he did. It was at the cross where Jesus laid down everything, where he laid down his rights, where he laid down his, his power. You know, remember the song he could have called 10,000 angels? 
But he didn't because he laid down that power. Okay, He let go of that option. He had the ability to say, God, I don't want to do this. Come get me. But he laid down that power. He laid down safety. He laid down politics. He laid down the good old days. And here's the thing. If we are the followers of Jesus Christ, that's what we're called to. We're called to lay those same things down. Later in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, Paul is writing and he's talking about our attitudes and our hearts and our minds. He says, your attitude must be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who considered himself, what, nothing, but he emptied himself. In other words, he laid down all of his power, all of his authority, and he became a, a servant that was obedient Obedient all the way to death, even death on a cross. Paul's words at the beginning that, of that is, let your attitude be the same as Christ Jesus. Okay? So it's that that should be what is compelling us and driving us forward. What Jesus did, he gave up everything for us. So if we are to be compelled by the love of Christ, that means we have to be willing to lay down our lives to lay down our power, to lay down authority in order to put others first. And that's what verse 15 is saying. Okay, For the love of Christ compels us because we are convinced that one has died. Therefore all have died. Verse 15, and he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves. It's not about me anymore. It's not about what I want and, and what my agenda is. It's not about what I want to control. It's about what God wants. It's about God's agenda. It's about God's will. It's about God's plan and God's kingdom. And if the power of Christ is at work in me, if the power of Christ is compelling me, that means I am doing exactly what Jesus did. I'm looking to put others first. I'm looking to serve one another. I'm looking of my, on myself as less than what I see you. Does that make sense? This is what it means when it talks about the power of Christ or, or, or the love of Christ compelling us. So when we leave from here today, that's got to be our, our mindset. That when I get in and I go back out there and I go to work tomorrow or, or go to school or wherever it might be, as I am interacting with people, what compels me is not my own agenda, not what I want, not my plans, my future, my bank account, whatever it is. What compels me is the love of Christ Jesus. How would that change our society if we really were compelled by the love of, uh, of Jesus Christ? Well, then you get into verse 16 and 17. I think this is also part of the, just the, the, key to the, entire, the key to the entire passage. Where it says, from now on, from now on, from this point forward, we will look at no one from a human point of view. In other words, we're not going to look at people the way society looks at people. Okay, because you know and, and I know that society looks on people in different ways. Yes or no? In some ways good, in some ways not good. Okay, there are stereotypes, we know them all. Okay, but there are, are the way that society can look on certain people as they're second class, they're lower than you, there, there are people that you can step on or step over. There are people that you can manipulate and take advantage of and just use to your gain. Okay, society says you do whatever you got to do. If you need to dehumanize somebody, if you need to degrade them, do whatever you got to do because it's about you and it's not about them. 
no matter where they came from, what their background is, what their race is, what their class is, socioeconomic status, educational level, no matter what it is, society says you do what you've got to do to take care of yourself. But Paul right here says from now on, though, we don't regard anyone that way. We don't regard anyone from a worldly point of view. Why? Because we're compelled by the love of Christ. We're compelled by Jesus and the way that Jesus looks at people and the way that Jesus responds and, and, and reacts to people. You see, to regard someone from a human point of view in, involves a judgment of someone's outward appearance, whether it be skin color or dress or what have you. But you see, in Christ, we are created new. And when we're created new, that means that we are to regard people, no matter where they come from, we're to regard them as Jesus does. That's how we're supposed to do this. That's how we, that's how we, we, we go about this. And so what we have now, what we have is, is the church that's been given to us. What we have as followers of Christ is, is, is one another, and we have been given this ministry of reconciliation. God calls you and I together in partnership with Him, in partnership with Jesus to go out and to, to carry this, this, this message, this, this method of reconciling people back to God. He partners with us in this. Josh Graves says that uh, all division in American culture, it is a church matter. In other words, we should be the first people to, to stand up. We should be the first people to begin the process of reconciling. Okay, because if God, if, if our God is a God of love, then we should, and we are the people of God, I think logically it follows that we are the people of love. Does that make sense? Some logic person tell me later on if I got that premise right. Okay, but I think that's right. Okay, I think that's how that works. If God is the God of love and we are the people of God, we are also the people of love. Okay. Christians should have the market cornered on this one because we got our daddy back there who is love, okay? We should love people more than anybody else does. We, as the followers of Christ, should out-love the world, okay? When the world hits hard, when the world gets nasty, Christians don't need to respond the same way. And time and time again, Christians do. You know how I know that? Because I'm one of them. Because I have responded in a way that was not of Christ. Because I have said things that were not of Jesus. I have done things that were not of Jesus. I have done things that, just like we talked about last year, that uh, last week, I have done things that messed with the message of Jesus Christ. Okay? That's why I know that. But we should be the people who love who out-love the world. Man, wouldn't that be great if our church was known as that? You know that little bitty church going down toward Tallahassee? Man, they love people more than anybody else I've ever been around. Okay? That didn't happen just because we decided, well, okay, I'm going to love people a little better. That happens because the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ drives us drives us forward okay now here's the thing all right this is a this is a church problem this is the we should be leading on this okay we should be cross-shaped people 
Okay, and when we become cross-shaped, then that eliminates what we talked about two weeks ago. It eliminates that us-versus-them mentality. Okay, because we no longer view people as the world views people. It's not a us, we're the good ones, and them, they're the bad ones. Us, we're the ones who do right, and everybody else is evil. It's no longer us versus them, but it's, man, there are people that just like me are broken and are struggling and are hurting, and they need Jesus just as much as I do. And I'm going to do what I can to show that, that, that love and that grace to them. And in, in verse 20, Paul says God is making his appeal through you. Okay, and then Paul is appealing to the people. You know, the stakes could not be higher. You know, this is, a, this is your talking about our conduct in public, our conduct in, in, in private. As Paul is writing to these people about reconciliation, he's writing to, to minorities. Okay, he is writing to Jews that are living in a, a dominant pagan culture, surrounded by, by pagan religion, as they engage this world around them. Now then, this morning I'm talking to Christians, the dominant religion in, in our country, okay? How much more, how much more would Paul challenge our commitment to radical love if he were to write us a letter in 2016? I think he would challenge us. I think he would say some of these very same things, that we are to be the people of love, that we are to be the people who outlove the, the rest of the world, that we are to continue his, his ministry of reconciliation. So what would it look like? What would it look like if we were to take 2 Corinthians chapter 5 seriously? This ministry of reconciliation, what would that look like if we were to take it seriously? Well, I think it means first and foremost, I think it means that we would listen. Have you ever noticed how many problems can get solved when we just stop and listen to one another? But a lot of times, what do we have? There's a problem, and we end up talking over one another. Or we end up talking past one another, and we miss what, what one another is saying. And I think if we take this ministry of reconciliation seriously, I think one of the first things that we do is we would learn to listen. You see, and if we've listened to Scripture, then we know, we know that Jesus always stood up for those that were being mistreated and, and, and misaligned. And you won't find any instance in Scripture where, where that is, is not the case. And so it means that if we're taking this seriously, that that's what we would do as well, that we would, we would listen. Okay, and so instead of, of being judgmental, instead of being judgmental and, and, and prejudiced, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to learn to listen a little more. To listen through somebody else's perspective. And I think it's, this is kind of what I've thought about, or this is what I've heard. I, I think at its heart, I think at its heart, Black Lives Matters isn't trying to say that black lives are the only lives that matter. I mean, I understand there's abuses of different things, but I think that what it is trying to say is, shouldn't we matter just as much as you? I mean, is that right? The answer is a resounding yes. 
And I think that they're only asking for what our, our founding documents already promise. Life, liberty, and the, the pursuit of, of happiness. Now then, I, 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 I get the all lives matter thing. I get it. But in some ways, saying that is, is kind of like someone without cancer saying to someone with cancer that all cancer matters. Or saying to the parents who have lost a child that all children matter. Because I think when we just sort of flippantly throw that out like that, that it diminishes the importance of what that individual or that group is experiencing. And so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to look at things from a different perspective. I'm trying to listen outside of my own perspective and outside of my, my own experience. Jesus never told the demoniac, all demoniacs matter. He never told the woman, yeah, praise God for that, yeah. Jesus never told the woman who had that issue of blood when she was bleeding for 12 years. He never told her all people with this problem matter. But in Mark chapter 5, he sat down in the middle of the road and let her tell his whole story because that person, that individual mattered to Jesus. He, he listened to her. And so we have to take an example. We have to take a lesson. And we, I think if we will learn to listen, we can hear things differently. You know, I, I echo the words, uh, you know, I keep mentioning Josh Graves, and, and he made a, a, an observation, and I, I agree with it 100%. As, as he talks about his boys, and I, I think about my boys, he says this, he says, my sons will never have to worry about being mistreated by the police just because of their skin pigmentation. Okay, and I... Me too, okay? My boys, I mean, my boys are white as Wonder Bread, okay? They don't have to worry about that. But now I'm trying to see things from a different perspective. And I'm trying to understand things a, a, a little bit differently. And I was, I was driving the other day, and I, I got behind somebody who was not going the speed limit. And I like to at least go the speed limit. We'll just leave it there. But I like to at least go the speed limit. And so I finally got a chance to go around this car, and I, I just, you know, I'm like, okay, all right, let me get around you. And you know how you get kind of frustrated because you're going places and you haven't timed well, you know, whatever. So I'm aggravated because I couldn't get around them. Finally, traffic opened up, and I was able to go around them. And, and I looked over, and it was a, it was a young, young black man. And I just it thought, okay, now wait a minute. My first thought is, why are you going so slow? Don't you see me in your rearview mirror? <laughs> Don't you know i got to be somewhere? Okay, but then, as I'm passing by, it occurred to me, no, wait a minute, maybe there's, maybe there's a reason why he's driving a little slower. Okay, now I'm not trying to indict anybody in that, but maybe in, in his thought, in his mind, he's thinking, okay, I gotta, maybe I need to go just a little slower so that I don't experience anything like that. Okay, and so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to learn to, to think differently. I'm trying to, to learn to, to be more understanding and, and, and 
more sensitive to, to people's situations. That's why it's important for us to listen. That's why it's important for us to ask our friends of, of color to help us understand. The first step of love is, is humility. And we must learn to listen and we must learn to ask questions. And again, this is what I've been trying to do. I've mentioned a couple of times my friend Tanya Johnson. There's a, there's a picture over there. Uh, like I said, I've, I've known her since uh, my, my seventh grade typing class. Uh, so that's, that's, that's going back a ways. And uh, she, she lives in the Atlanta area, does some real estate, some things like that. And uh, when uh, she found out I was preaching on this, you know, we had some, some interaction. And, and she's been really great at, at letting me just ask questions. Letting me say, hey, look, this is kind of what I'm thinking. Is this right? Can you help me with this? Okay, I don't seem to have a good grasp on this. Can you help me kind of understand this a little bit more? And she's been really, really great and she's been very very encouraging to me and uh, as, as we were talking about some of this stuff the black lives matter all lives matter and I'm just trying to get a handle on it uh, she said this and again you know she's the one that's offered these things that we could be doing you know reaching out to people calling our friends you know those kind of things she says this as well she says make sure you push a narrative of you matter and letting that be the mantra that everyone focuses on she says, that's what we teach our boys in place of black lives matter and all lives matter. The ultimate heart of God is to show that the individual matters. And that can only happen when we constantly say, you matter. You see, and I, I appreciate her words. I appreciate what she's saying because that's great. And that's getting to what Tony Evans has been saying over the last couple of weeks that it, it, it keeps us from focusing so much. It keeps me from focusing on, on, on being just a white Christian. You know, it keeps us from focusing on being a black Christian or Hispanic Christian. It gets our focus on the fact that we are just called to be Christians. And that no matter who we're looking at, no matter who we're interacting with, that as I interact with you, no matter who you are, you matter. You matter to God. Pray. Yes, absolutely. You matter matter have you ever noticed that when you take time to listen to someone to sit down and let them tell their story or when you take time to to actually get to know somebody that a lot of times your preconceived notions and your stereotypes fall away you ever done that okay uh you know, it was, it was real easy to hate all Middle Easterners a decade ago or more. But then you start to meet some people from there, and you realize, well, wait a minute. Maybe not everybody holds those same ideas. Okay, and then I realize, well, wait a minute. Maybe it's not that all Iraqis are evil. Okay, and it's, but when we take the time to get to know somebody, to sit down in the dust of the road and listen to their story just as Jesus did, that we can understand one another a, a little bit better, that we learn to listen, that we learn to, to find, that we learn to find common ground together, that we learn to bring about reconciliation. See, but good listening, and that's what listening does. But good listening also means that we would listen to our 
our police who have jobs that, let's be honest, none of us have the guts to do. Okay, we've asked them to do those jobs. Good listening means that we would also recognize that, that most of our cops have noble motives for protecting and, and for, for human life. You see, once we, we start to listen, once we start to listen, we'll start to see. We'll start to, to really see. We would start to see the systemic issues of racism and injustice that still plague our, our, our housing and education, prisons and churches. You know, the early church, the early church was known for its diversity. Acts, the book of Acts, kind of starts out in Jerusalem. And then it spreads and it spreads and it spreads and it spreads. And by the time you, you get to Antioch, you have this, this multicultural, multiracial church. And it was there that for the first time that the word, the, the label or title or whatever you want to call it, Christians, was applied. It was applied to this big, diverse group. It was races coming together. People coming out of, out of paganism and idolatry. People coming out of, of Judaism. All coming together in Jesus. All together finding the, the ministry of reconciliation. And that's, that's what I want for our church. I want our church to become more diverse. But it means that we have to be the people of God who show the people the love of God. It means we have to be agents of reconciliation. It means that we have to be people of, uh, of grace. And, you know, and I'm not talking about the kind of reconciliation that, oh, that politicians, Republicans, Democrats, they argue over posture over in front of TV cameras. I'm talking about the systemic expressions of evil and death that hover over our institutions, that hover over our land. Reconciliation at the street level. That's you and I. One by one. That's you choosing to be a minister of reconciliation. That's me choosing to be a minister of reconciliation. That means that we are willing to step in and bring peace where there is no peace. Not just a, a peace that means no tension because that's not really peace. But a peace that steps in and offers the light of Jesus Christ and the love of, of God. Reconciliation on the street level is not just one by one but it's church by church. And if we choose as a church to be a church of reconciliation, then we can carry that out of here and hopefully our example can influence others so that you have churches locking arms together. Now then, will we agree on everything? No. Okay? Bethany and I, Bethany knows me better than any person on the planet and we don't agree on anything. Okay? 
She'll disagree with that statement right there. And I'll rest my case. So by churches, you know, we wouldn't all agree. But there are certain things we can agree on, like Jesus. And that we have a problem that's facing us. Number one is that Christians aren't loving people the way they should be. And it's number two that we need to be taking the light of the world into the world. And so that's what we want. We need reconciliation in all things, in all places, everywhere. Jesus brought reconciliation. Paul preached reconciliation. Jesus demonstrated it in his life because he believed it was central to the message that he was trying to proclaim. Now then, this, you know, this, this hasn't been an easy message. Um, but I believe it is, is one of, of great importance. The ministry of reconciliation is what each of us have experienced in the death and the burial and the, and the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ. And as we get ready to move into our time of communion, those are the things that, that we can be thinking of that we can be calling to, to mind. And it's, it's this, this ministry that those of us who call ourselves Christians not only have experienced, but should be actively participating in. You see, and it's when we gather around the table, when we gather around the table, just as we have done over the last few weeks and years, as we gather around the table, we are reminded of just how much we have been reconciled. That Jesus went to a cross and he took my sin, he took your sin. And he took it away so that we can be reconciled, brought back into a relationship with God. And it's in and around the table where we have this time to celebrate.